Hello, hello, what is good? You're tuned in to Mango Masala, Pi Radio's brand new South Asian show, the hottest new Desi youth-oriented collective, bringing you the latest tunes and chai, Saturdays 3 to 5. You finally got your air horn. I yeah. finally got my air horn. I'm joined in the studio today by, um, well, why don't you introduce yourselves? Hi, it's Simran. You know me, it's Ben. And we've also got the wonderful Lissy behind camera for us. Woo! Shout! She hasn't got she hasn't got a microphone. <laughs> cool. Um, unfortunately, we were hoping that today was going to be our first episode with all four presenters here, but unfortunately, COVID struck again. Um, so actually, Halima was regardless. She was meant to be isolating until Monday, um, but also unfortunately, Halima has since caught COVID. So we wish Halima the best. Um, hopefully now her family can wait on her a bit because <laughs> I know how much she's yeah. been waiting on them throughout the past two weeks. If you can hear um, the dulcet tones of Dylan Beds in the background, <laughs> it's because Pi Radio is actually um, carrying out a live streaming event tonight. Um, if you want to tune into that, make sure to go to our socials and you'll find the YouTube link. Um, should have live music coming your way from around 6pm. Cool. Right, so first of all, how have your guys' weeks been like? What's been happening? All good, pretty chilling. Um, just been doing uni work, chilling out. Went bottomless brunch yesterday, so the first time Ooh. I've been out properly since oh, lockdown yeah, ended. You're in so you can actually do Oh that. yeah, we got blessed with yeah. tier two, so yeah. it's pretty lit. What's tier two again? How does that feel? I don't know. What does freedom like, feel like? I don't like know like what you? the difference is between tier two and three. I just know that tier two is way better. Yeah. Got I need to be honest. Yeah, on the sixteenth to find out whether we're in that. So yeah. Well, I mean, to be to be fair, today we had some Yorkshire pudding wraps and um, uh, quite a lot of people out there mean, today. Uh, what do you mean uh, Yorkshire pudding wrap? Yo. Have you never had? Have you had one? You can't. You yeah. can't. You can't comment. From where? <laughs> I mean, there's one. I mean, there's one in town, but I guess you don't really live in the best city in the UK, so yes. it's, it's, it's understandable. <sighs> But no, what honestly, is the, what is Slough even or Liverpool for that man? No, what what is it? No, no, no. We love Liverpool. We do. We Shout do. out to all the scousers. Um, I was oh. gonna say let's not create rivalries here. <laughs> it's like, ooh. No. But um, honestly, don't knock it to you. Try it. Like the Yorkshire pudding wrap is actually in a wrap. I mean, well, it's just the like no, a tortilla. No, the wrap <laughs> is the Yorkshire pudding. Yeah, like with what gravy and and the meat and the vegetables nope. okay and this, this part might be a bit contested but as a vegetarian all i basically have was vegetables stuffing but and even, the Yorkshire even actually, then that's, that's good yeah like, she was gravy. really oh, man. you know what you can't comment until you've tried it so yeah moving Do you know what, next week we on. should bring a yorkshire pudding wrap and just like, like try it live on air yeah maybe eat it live on stream That'd be funny. Like uh, a bush, like a trial. <laughs> <laughs> Solomon, we're not planning. We're not doing that. No, we're, we're not, not having things there. <laughs> um, anyway, moving on. Um, so we're first going to cover a bit of news that's been happening this week, just from our own perspective, what we think about it. Um, yeah, just giving our two pennies on it, basically. Mm. So first off, Brexit trade talks. So mm. this has been in the news a lot over the past week. Um basically because boris actually went to brussels boris pm boris johnson for those of you that don't know though i don't know why you wouldn't know um to meet ursula von der leyen i think that's how you pronounce it the european commission president and the reason he did that is because he was in an attempt to salvage brexit trade deals before the new year because 
come December the 31st, the UK will stop trading under EU trading rules. Now, following that, yeah, following that discussion, um, both Ursula and Boris have said that it's very likely that no deal is going to happen because both of them basically want the other to do different things. Yeah. And it's looking like come January, we're going to leave the um, EU with a no deal. Do you know what's funny? At this rate, I just felt like we've leave, we've left the EU at least three times and we yeah. haven't left the EU. You know, I mean, you know what's mad? I was thinking, were you old enough to vote when this happened? No, no that's how long it's been going yeah. on for. Because, like, literally, <laughs> like, you I was like 16 or 17, yeah. Yeah. Mad. Like, because the thing is, like, when you look at you, you wouldn't think, like, oh, yeah, she's like a teenager. So that just shows, like, how yeah. long this mm, has actually yeah. been going on for. Yeah. Uh, it's been years and years. It's actually mad, and now the fact yeah. that it's been this long and we're going to leave with no deal is just yeah. a shambles. The, yeah, I was listening to the radio the other day actually, and they were saying about how even like, though it's been going on for so long, they don't get why Boris didn't extend it. Just because, like, fair enough, you know, coronavirus. Regardless of what you think about how the government has handled mm. it, coronavirus coronavirus has been a lot to actually handle. Mm. So I don't get why they wouldn't say it right. You know, global pandemic, maybe we should just delay Brexit slightly more. Maybe this is actually a good reason to delay it, right? Do you know what? It's even funnier because, like, they didn't want to delay it and they had been chasing this up a lot more than, you know, depending on how you, again, you see how the pandemic was handled. Um, Many a times in Prime Minister's questions when I was following it up, even for my day job, I'd just be sat there going, why is Brexit just so much more important? Like, regardless of if you voted to remain, I voted to remain. And... I know a lot of old people will probably be like, I wanted to leave, but I don't care. At least I want to at least be alive to see it, first of all. Like, do you know what yeah. I mean? Like, this I felt... the thing. Like, yeah. a whole generation, like, for example, because we, I think me and you are only just about, like, maybe a year into the voting age. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like, there's a whole generation, like, basically Generation Z, who are, like, seeing what's going to happen with it. And that this is, like, stuff that they haven't voted for. I don't really get how you could avoid that, mm. to be honest. But like, still, it is like just mad yeah. to see that it's like with HS two. Like, well, <sighs> we're spending yeah. so much money on that, and yet all the people that are spending money in it aren't going to be alive to actually see, mm. yeah. like, about yeah. benefit what are the benefits for this. Pointless, really. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And as I mean, as a Remainer as well, like, I remember back in my sort of part-time job like when people will come in and talk about brexit and stuff and it's like first of all this is tesco why are we having a full-on pure political debate here? <laughs> that is literally how it Just was get though. your ciggies and go man like <laughs> I-, I love you customers uh but anyway the point was it was just more like a lot of them had the same sort of views were a bit like do you know what it's happened now just let's get past it let's just do it um and to be honest as it's kind of gotten further and further and further into it it shows a very ill-prepared and very unstructurally sound government for me where like there's nothing planned there's nothing prepared and that just seems like a recipe for disaster it's like going into a group project with all four people just not doing anything well speaking of recipes for disaster if you cast your mind back it's actually been exactly one year Mm. since the general election like like how has that happened like literally a whole year and if you remember back like last year one of the Tories selling points for getting voted back in was oh we've got our oven ready yeah it breaks the deal where where's the oven ready where is it where is that oven ready recipe where because if it was truly oven ready surely at this point it would have been baked yeah (laughs) it's still like uncooked they're gonna get food poisoning 
unseasoned. Unseasoned. Exactly. But this is the thing we're looking at now, coming out with the worst possible outcome (laughs) that could have happened. Do you know what I mean? A no deal on the 31st of December. They see that's, what, four years later and we haven't struck a deal. But this isn't, the the government is saying that no deal is better than a bad deal. What what do you think about that? I think no deal is the bad deal. Yeah, Yeah. it's trash. It's just a shambles because it just means that taxes are going to get higher, tariffs are going to get higher, they're all are going to be imposed on us, and that just means the cost of living is going to get higher, yeah, and exactly. it affects it affects people like me. They didn't even vote. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's and the people that did right. vote aren't here to enjoy it. Yeah. Mm. Mm. That's. Yeah. I mean, that is again. Like, it's. I think it's the way again. Like how the governments handle this. I'm trying to imagine the previous Prime Ministers trying to hand, go through this and sort of seeing... I sometimes like play this like sort of what-if scenarios in my head and I wonder how Blair would have handled this. I wonder, I wonder how David Cameron would have handled this despite not actually wanting it <laughs> and then going, do you know what, yeah, have a bye. referendum. And then struggling to give either Wales or Scotland a referendum because they were like, oh, we can't get, we can't let them make their own minds. Actually a bit mad. Um, but yeah, apparently that's... I mean, like, it's, again, like... The EU owes us nothing, first and foremost. Yeah, true. They also we we are we're only like eight percent of our like our trade talks with them. Do you know what I mean? You, the EU owns more. Mm. They have more of these conversations with other people daily. Probably Why does important. England or like just the UK generally feel like we've got the control or the upper hand? It's, I, I think it like I honestly think that it like carries on from this whole like colonial mindset yeah. oh, of like the, how Britain is the this tiny island is the epicenter of everything and because we went around the world basically taking over stealing everyone else's resources and then mm. somehow by stealing everyone else's resources of course we came out like on top essentially like yeah. Yeah. and then you know what I mean? Like, it's just like that mindset has just transcended. And yeah. it's just like this idea that, oh, we're better than everyone else. We're so important. Like, yeah. we're the epicenter of the world. Like, look at look at the time zones. We're literally, why why are we zero? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, why are it's, we bang in the middle? It's also, like, I, I, yeah, like you said, it's, it's this colonialistic sort of, like, hype that we're still on. Like, we're trying to sort of achieve something by past glories. But, like, imagine if you've got... You, imagine one of your boys comes up to you and says, remember that score? Remember that goal that I scored at school? That was, like, 10 years ago, Ben. Do you know what I mean? Like, why would you bring it up? Yeah. Why? It's, it's not something to be proud of. Like, you literally scored against a year seven chill. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's, it's things like that. Like, I mean, obviously, given the circumstances, it was an entire country at this point and three quarters of the world. But we're looking at it through this sort of different perspective now where where like England is now also again in the forefront of the uh, forefront of the world but now on television mm. and looking at how we handled the pandemic look at like look at New Zealand yeah progressive and they're, they're an island they're an island yeah you know what I mean like zero COVID cases compare. I think Lord. Gre- do they have a smaller population than us I they, think do. they do which they're is a like, very small population yeah, yeah there are other factors to consider obviously but at the same time when you compare the two but they're at zero cases they're, yeah. they've got festivals and concerts yeah. all sorts yeah uh, some other stuff that i looked up about potential deals to a no um brexit is um that the supply of medicines could be vulnerable to disruption um at channel ports with particular um worries about um, what they're called medicines with short shelf life yeah um so obviously they've said that there are plans to ensure that coronavirus vaccines reach um 
the UK. But again, do we think that's an empty promise? Do we think that maybe, maybe somewhat, maybe it is going to get to a point where when we leave the EU, like, because aren't the vaccines coming from Germany as well, or are they not? Yeah. Yeah. So, like, could they, that that not potentially be affected? Um, oh, that is that's a tough one because again, that comes again very much within trade talks and whether the government themselves or whether the health secretary has something to say on this is, is something that we have to wait and watch but again i guess the ideas of and the thought process of like how the country in itself is running econ- economically is also a testament to this because look at the way they're talking to like just if you see how they've sort of dealt with the issue with against france at the moment they've literally got navy boats ready over fish yeah, that is it. I don't get why. Over fish. It's weird when you think about fishing. When you think of fishing, I just think of like a man in a boat, like yeah. just like getting like a goldfish or something. When actually it is like such a mass industry and such like a point of contention. Yeah, like are we sustainably? Are they even when even if say England do get the rights to this part of the ocean, are they going to um, source the fish sustainably? Which is an important factor as well because sustainability is a big matter in this current day and age. But then you think of it like that as well. It's it's so important to just to even like behave like adults, and I don't feel like we are. Yeah, it, we like to throw our toys out the pram. I was just gonna we? say yeah. that literally. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it's just one of those, man. Right. One final point with regards to this Brexit shambles. That is because that's literally what it is. Because because yeah. <laughs> I like write about this on the website, and every time I go to like put it on Twitter and stuff, I like look to see what hashtags are trending, and it's always hashtag Brexit shambles. Like that's it's always trending, but anyway, one final thing: Do you think in twenty twenty four or whenever the next general election is? Because God knows we've had so many in the past five <laughs> years. Do you think people are going to remember this? Uh, do you yes. think they'll act upon it? Yeah, for definitely. sure. I think this has swung public opinion so mm. much now, and the way this, on top of the way the pandemic has been handled, I think people are starting to see. See, this is, I, yeah. I, I, I still think that's wishful thinking. I, I, I think I've it lost is wishful faith thinking. This the... country does have soul ties to the Tory party, but I just think a lot of people have, their minds might have been changed significantly because yeah. of 2020. Yeah, no, 100%. And like, if you look at Twitter, if, anything, if Twitter's to go anything by, there's a lot of Brexiteers having go at like Remainers for Brexit. So um, <laughs> I guess in a way, <laughs> it's a stepping stone. Um, not Not toxic at all, apparently. But you know what? at least it's moving in the right direction yeah but also like a lot of people that voted leave obviously mm. still haven't gotten the outcome they voted for what they were yeah. promised in the campaigns for brexit was obviously yeah. everyone knows that was a lie so people haven't got what they voted for anyway so they are starting to see i think they're starting to see through the government now a little bit yeah i think it's always been very clear but it's it's the it's yeah. a certain kind of but now it's getting yeah. through to the people that didn't see it before yeah how i don't know but you know that's that's another topic for another day yeah <laughs> Well, let's leave that on hoping that people do end up realising what. Well, I don't know. I don't want to say that it's... Because I would never want to discredit the government live on air because ultimately we are remaining neutral. But I would hope that people would be a bit more sceptical next time. Right. Next point. The execution of Brandon Bernard. So for those of you that aren't aware of what this is Mm. basically brandon bernard was an inmate in america who was on death row he's been on death row since he was convicted of murder 
Actually, I don't know if he's been on death row for that long, but he was convicted of murder in 1999 when he was 18. He was a teenager and he was executed on Thursday evening despite pleas to like reverse the decision. Um, and he is the youngest offender to be executed by the federal government in nearly 70 years yeah. despite showing signs of redemption, despite like turning over a new leaf etc and the this is this is also significant because president trump actually has four more executions planned to take place Mm. before he leaves the white house and he's actually broken a 130 year old precedent of pausing executions amid a presidential transition so he's actually this is the first time in 130 years that a um lame duck president as they're called has actually or carried out an execution so what do we think about that well first of all what are your thoughts on the death penalty in general i'm firmly against the death penalty because Mm. i feel like if there is a crime worthy enough to put someone on death row a better option is to have them in prison for the rest of their life anyway and for them to live through it and suffer Mm, in prison if that's the option obviously we know the prison system is not great anyway and prison reform doesn't exist but um in terms of death row, I'm I take a stance that I'm firmly against it. But yeah. in terms of this situation, I think it's just incredibly sad that he's shown redemption. He's shown that he's changed. Obviously, that was a very long time ago that he committed the crime. Mm-hmm. Um, so to still have gone through with it, and then with so much um, like public showing out, like Kim Kardashian West was so involved with it. I know she was like basically live tweeting in the hours before his death, saying about like she just got off the phone with him. They were saying, um, I'll see you soon instead of goodbye and that kind of stuff. It was really sad. Like it was really yeah. heart-wrenching. Yeah. Because, yeah. um, sorry, Ben, what do you think as well? I'm firmly against it. I just think it's it's such a lame excuse of a deterrent. Like how are you going to deter a guy who's going to die? Like it's not... He, of course he's not going to commit the crime again because he's going to be dead. Like, yeah. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, It's the worst thing to use violence against violence. Like, yeah. I'm not entirely sure if people understand physics, but putting fire to fire, there's still fire. Do you know what I mean? Like, I don't think, and in the many years these executions have been going on, murder still happen. Yeah. Like, it doesn't deter anyone. If anything, they're just, either people want to see how far they can get away with it or like, People still run around with gats and like guns and everything. Yeah. Just like, do you know what I mean? Like, maybe they should have a look at that. Yeah, maybe, maybe have a look at the problem before it gets to that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it's, I just think the death penalty is not just barbaric, but it's archaic. I think yeah. we've come as a society, we've come so far to from throwing rocks at each other because of some of who you love or if you've not been married beforehand or whatever like to suddenly say we're going to kill you because of a crime that you committed when you were so young that you don't even re- well, a crime that you didn't physically even commit you one of the guys who actually shot him committed and now we're going to put you through this yeah this is the thing because i actually looked into what actually happened yeah and Everything aside, you can't deny what actually happened. It yeah, it was yeah. horrible. It was it, it, horrendous. It, it was a horrendous crime that was carried out. Yeah. Um, Bernard did play a significant part yes. in it in the fact that whilst it's it, a lot of people think that it wasn't actually him that killed them. But he was he still did, a part of it. Yeah, just and as he, much. he did set the car alight, basically mm. with the bodies inside, even mm. though they'd already been shot. Yeah, yeah. Now, I again, I don't, I I think I. 
that hearing about that story makes me feel sad. It makes me feel mm-hmm. upset. It makes mm-hmm. me feel angry, etc. <laughs> but killing the person that carried that out, I just can't wrap my head around that. I just, I just think that there is no crime that could ever be bad enough for the state to decide to take life into their mm. own hands. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't understand what gives them the right... To play God. Yeah, to, yeah. yeah literally, that's it. It's playing God. Yeah. I also looked into some um, stats on this, and it is, like, it is racial. Because yeah. if you look at the stats, since 1976, black people have accounted for 34% of those killed by the death penalty in America. Yeah. Now, obviously, when you see that 55.8% of them were white, that doesn't seem that bad. But then you think about how black people only account for 13.4% yeah. of the whole population. Like, it's totally disproportionate. Also, it links to, the, the, again, the problem we talked about before, this whole massing system of mass incarceration, yeah. and about how, yeah. although the black people only account for 13.4% of the US population, they account for 33%. That's a whole third of the prison population. Like that, those numbers just don't add up. Like... And you can't, you can't argue, oh, it's because um, black people are more often um, associated with crime. It's just the way it is. Like, it, 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 surely there's a, is a deeper issue here. Yeah. You know, you, you can't attribute a whole race, which race in itself is such like a flimsy term because when you think about how it's categorized into like roughly like five main areas, when in reality, it's so much more diverse than that. Yeah. For example, black like there's a big discussion about what it actually means to be black because yeah. obviously a lot of people just think oh well it means you come from africa yeah. but then it's like there are some people in the more northern regions of africa who you wouldn't say were black because they're of lighter toned skin and then there's obviously people from elsewhere around the world that might consider them yeah they might consider themselves to be black but they don't come from africa there's there's so yeah. many yeah. different elements Two, to it many different facets really altogether. and yeah. That's like, like you said. I I agree. Like it's, it's not black and white anymore. Mm. It's like our perception of race has become so much more than just half and half. It's become everything around the desk. Like we we have to look at it and like at least understand to not be ignorant, mm. no, or at least come across ignorant. Like I think you have the ability to learn, and if and, you know if you have the ability to, you know, learn how to take a picture on your Instagrams or whatever, and like make some cool gifts or whatever. You can definitely learn about race. It doesn't take too long. Yeah. The amount of, like, the amount of meme culture is taken off. Mm. Like, people have type on their hands. Like, I know, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, obviously, this isn't me saying that if you're really stressed and your mental health is deteriorating, you yeah. need to put, take time out of your day to read, like, oh, read, yeah. like, a whole book a day on this topic or something. What I'm saying is the majority of people out there I think do choose to be ignorant yeah, in regards sure. to this. Yeah. Yeah. When when you have the option and when you choose not to. I mean like this entire case as well, like the fact that um the Supreme Court just denied the request to delay the execution, not completely cancel, but just to delay. And they just denied it. Like they basically gave him that time to just say goodbye to his family. He apologized and then he was pronounced dead at nine twenty seven. Yeah. That for me, just the thought of death is kind of a strange one. I'm like, both not afraid of it, but like, because I know it's a natural part of life. But when it's taken unnaturally, both whether because the format of revenge is pretty plain here. Yeah. 
but who are you avenging? Who are you rev- like? What is this form of avenge- like vengeance? Mm. Has there been a fo- like a firm sort of sense of reconciliation between the family? But you know, like again, I guess this is something that, again, like you say, it was a heinous crime. It in itself was a heinous crime. Two youth ministers brutally murdered, you know, and the fact that he was 18 and he was in this, again, like you say, when you're kind of clumped into this small place and you don't get the chances and the ability to grow, was he just like, was he just feeling like this was going to, this was going to be his entire life? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like it's, it's kind of, it's kind of sad on all, all ends of the spectrum. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Any final comments on that before we move on? I think with stuff like this, you just have to look more at like the societal structures and like the kind of, self-fulfilling prophecies and the cycles that get perpetuated by like different environmental factors and that happen in people's lives and without doing that that's when things like this happen where people just make decisions where they can take other people's lives as a form of avengement like that doesn't make any sense whereas what needs to happen especially when it becomes more of a racial issue when it's um, uh, disproportionate and biased you have to look at the kind of structures that are in our society and how those affect the individuals and what may have caused those certain events to happen where people's uh, people are losing lives, people are getting murdered, and that kind of stuff. It, I think it becomes a more like a grassroots thing that needs to be looked at instead of just kind of snap decisions and saying yeah. that capital punishment is the way to go. Then, mm. yeah, just capital punishment so whack, man. Like, I just don't understand how taking a life or brutally like executing someone has any form of like like resolution. Mm. It feels like if anything, it's incomplete. If this person, say for example, uh, he wasn't, say if um, not Bern- uh, not Brandon Bernard, say someone else, wasn't like uh, in the slightest remorseful, he's probably going to be sitting on the electric chair, smiling his way to death. Mm. Was that? Is, does that feel like any form of resolution? You just knew he was yeah. going to die happy. Do you know what I mean? Like it doesn't, in itself, create a sense of fulfillment. It just sort of creates more empty vacuums. And if anything, it's um, negatively affecting more people because yeah. the the perpetrator's family, they haven't done anything wrong, and yet they're still going to be, obviously, yeah. I'd assume they're going to be quite upset the yeah. fact that, that despite the fact that their son or daughter or um, whoever is a murderer, mm. they're still going to be upset that mm-hmm. they've been killed by the state as well. Like It's a correctional facility, so when someone is corrected and wants someone is remorseful, of course you want to at least you know acknowledge that, but... But that's just a massive flaw in the prison system, both uh, in America, but also we have it here that they don't centre around rehabilitation at all. They call them correctional facilities, but they're not doing anything to correct behaviour or to reward good behaviour and things like that. It's not how it works. That's why you have the kind of cycle of reoffending and recidivism as just so rampant here and in America because we don't focus on rehab enough. No. Yeah. Um, Right, moving on... um, Simran, did you just want to update us? There's not that much to say, I don't think, but just a quick update on the current ongoing situation with regards to the farmer protests in Punjab. Yeah, of course. Um, So I think like Carlos says, um, unfortunately in the last week there actually hasn't been uh, much of an update that I can tell you, but it's just kind of that the situation had situation hasn't changed loads. They're still they're still out there in the hundreds of thousands protesting across India, not just from Punjab, from all these other other regions as well. Um, it's really unfortunate that nothing's changed, but obviously we can only hope that in the near future that we come to a conclusion because I think this is 
really slowly but surely gaining a lot more and more traction i'm seeing a lot more people post about it that you know like non-punjabi people non-south asian people mm. are posting about it and it's been really good to get the conversations going um obviously there's so many different ways to help there's charities and organizations to, to donate to like Khalsa aid there's um a protest today actually in birmingham there was one last week in london and people were showing out in the thousands so it was really great to see I think um, the actual the actual the, the Labour MP for Slough, Tan Desi, he spoke about it in Parliament, and unfortunately Boris Johnson had no idea what he was talking about. Uh, Did you see that? Yes. Yo. He said it to his face, and Boris Johnson started speaking about the Pakistan-India conflict. Yeah, he had no idea. I couldn't I couldn't help but just like laugh and just see the confusion on his face. Yeah. He was just like, yeah, he just had what? no idea. And then the Guardian called him clueless. So, Do you know that's like, that's a big Fair one. Enough. If the Guardian calls you, yeah. call, like a, well, a very biased paper as I like to call them um, very much slates the exact same side that they were once on mm. do you know what I mean it's crazy but yeah unfortunately not a massive update but just keep rallying keep supporting yeah. and keep yeah. the activism up yeah. yeah and if you want to hear more about that topic in general um, you can now stream our last show on Spotify if you type in Mango Masala um, our last show did centre around that topic largely so go and give that a listen if you want to hear more about that uh, one final news point um, this one I think it's just from me um, I think we talked about this before neither one of you two, neither one of you two watch Kari do you? I have seen the storyline though I've seen okay, quite a bit okay. of it. Right. So, oh, you have seen the storyline, and here you were making fun of me for watching Curry on Because that's the only one I care about. Mm. Well, it's fair. That's yeah. I, it's mainly the one I've been following <laughs> as well. But yeah, if the, for those of you that don't know, I'm an avid Curry Curry watcher, <laughs> but only on the YouTube clips. I Say it with your chest. You're a fan. <laughs> Say it with your yeah, chest. Yeah, I'm, I'm a fan, but I can't be bothered watching like three or however many episodes a week. So I just go on YouTube and just watch the clips that they upload onto the coronation street um channel also like any united fan that makes sense oh is there some united listeners there did i just grind anyone Take you a looking, deep breath. you're looking forward to the derby later not really no not, really. <laughs> not entirely right. but anyway this isn't about football this is about <laughs> cory and yasmin so for those of you that don't know yasmin i think on the show she is in pakistani and she has been in an abusive relationship with her husband, Jeff. It's been going on for like over a year. Um, back in March, which is crazy to think it's been that long, um, it actually got too much and she attacked him in self-defence. She got put in prison. And this week, spoiler alert for those of you that don't want to hear this, um, she was finally released, but then Jeff wasn't having any of it. He turned up to their house, set it alight, and then they climbed onto the roof and then Jeff started falling and um, Yasmin's um, granddaughter Alia was there as well and she was like to her grand like why are you helping him and then um, Yasmin was like no he might be a bad person but I'm not she tried to help him but he fell to the ground to his death and it was really funny as well because when he was on the ground with all the chickens around him and if you don't know one of the horrible things that he did was he actually took Yasmin's favourite chicken and cooked it and then fed it to Yasmin and didn't tell her until after she oh, eaten yeah. it. So that's why it's funny. The chickens finally got their revenge <laughs> for Charlotte Bronte that got um, cooked. Let's we're watching yeah. this after. I didn't know that bit. <laughs> no, it de- it's, honestly, it's been got- he's done so many bad things. Yeah, he's and, an awful person. Yeah. Character. I'm pretty yeah. sure he's... 
that's like toxic on toxic. That's like crazy yeah. kind of like psychotic toxic. It is, and he did it in such a way that he manipulated her to not think that she she, she yeah, he made her oh think that God. she was the person in the wrong. But he just my man killed her chicken and fed it to him. Yeah. How, How could you ever do that? that? But he would like secretly tape her and like all these things. Yeah, and he like really like good, humiliated so. her loads like publicly as well. Like he was just so awful. Yeah. <sighs> I think Corey just got so interesting. Corey did get really interesting this year. Mm. Um, it was just such an awful, like heartbreaking storyline, but it just did really give a lot of, I think, spotlight to real issues that yeah, happen surrounding domestic yeah. abuse and long-term abusive relationships, mm. especially within our community, obviously, because she was, did you say Pakistani? She was. Mm-hmm. I think in the show she yeah, meant to be yeah. Pakistani, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, just to um, say as well, if anyone's listening that is going through a similar sort of experience, um, please like do head either Google or head over to Coronation Street like socials because I'm sure on their website they do have a number of links They've to a lot of support play, lines, yeah, to places yeah. where you can go Samaritan, to get the relevant help. Like that, yeah. Yeah. yeah, so definitely don't suffer there. in silence. Yeah, the one thing you do not owe yourself or him is for you to suffer in silence mm-hmm. or her to suffer uh-huh. in silence. Getting on to this week's topic um our topic is representation so mm. what we're going to do first off is focus more on representation um and south asians with regards to people that we idolize so celebrities people in music film radio um sport fashion all that type of stuff so talking first about how this actually came about the reason why we decided to talk about this this week is because at the start of this week um some rather damning um statistics came out and they were released by a collective called south asian audio creatives and as part of those statistics they showed that 19 out of the 25 mainstream um radio stations in the uk didn't have a single South Asian radio presenter across their whole schedules. I think the max was one of them. I think it was Talk something had like three, but the the average was between zero and one. Um, so first off, I'm just gonna ask you guys, why do you think that is? I think it's a sort of thing about putting yourself out there that we don't have a lot of encouragement when it comes to like creative outlets and kind yeah. of being out there and speaking widely about certain issues, pop culture, like relevant issues, politics, that kind of stuff. I feel like there's not a lot of encouragement in our community to get out there and do that. I think even when I started this show, you said to me like, would you have applied for this role? And I said, no, I wouldn't have because if you hadn't reached out to me, there's no way I would have because it wasn't something that I thought I was able to do. Mm-hmm. And just thought like, I, that's not me that's not what like that's not normal for me that's not something that I'd be encouraged to do and even when I was like telling people they'd be like really radio like what like no one really like <laughs> no one really got it yeah. so it was just kind of I think that's it's just a reflection of that that it's not massively encouraged in our in our culture yeah. so when you're saying people didn't really get it are you referring to people like within your culture not, rather than everyone yeah. so it's like people yeah that, yeah yeah, yeah okay. like, I think people saw it as a very random thing sure. and like why yeah kind of thing Mm-hmm. Yeah. What yeah. About, what about you, Ben? Why do you think that is? Do you know what? Like, it's weird because growing up, and we'll probably touch on this when we get to the academia side of it and all. Um, but for me, when I when I approached this role, it was also because this is kind of what I saw myself doing, and I kind of built this sort of 
frenzy of annoying myself so much to the point that I will do something just because I can. And I want, it's also like a little bit of me where it's like, I want to prove people wrong a bit because, um, like you say, it's not something that's kind of heard of in our culture. And like, yeah, there's like people like Rita Jacoberti or Naga Manchetti on the BBC and, if, you know, a fair few other Asian presenters, but not many. And I guess one of the main reasons that is is because no one's really been like, do you know what, go and do it. Yeah, you go and be a radio jockey or you go. And, like when I told my dad this like a few years ago when I was planning on doing radio and like being a, like, an apprentice for the radio before I tried to go and go get into uh, medicine or to even do film at that point. He was like, why does my son want to be a radio jockey? And I was like, first of all, radio presenter. Second, I actually have nothing else to say, but I actually want to do it. Do you know what I mean? Like this is something yeah. I want to enjoy. And like, you know, I gave my chances and I gave my tries. But I think... It's like it's strange because Simran made a point of saying like you know if you mentioned it to your friends I'd be like oh, wait what why do you want to give your opinion on radio like mm-hmm. why do you want to put it on DAB like are you okay <laughs> like but again it's also it comes down to like why not why can't I and I think if you've got that burning desire to put your voice out and if you like talking as much as I do like you've got to put it somewhere <laughs> otherwise you'll implode yeah <laughs> <laughs> um, but- so obviously those stats speak for themselves yeah. um but do you think anything actually needs to change like 100%. like obviously you could like see those stats and be like that's just the way it is but do you think anything actually needs to change 100%. and if so what or how i think it does because when you're having conversations surrounding really important issues like within the culture or within politics or within like general society and stuff when there's not representation from a really significant ethnic group then you're just missing out on that whole perspective and it's not being heard at all so having more people of a south asian background in those roles would provide such a different outlook and get that side out way more and like when it comes to stuff like say in politics let's say for example using the Punjab farmers as an example it would get out so much more and it would kind of brick the echo chamberness of it all and it would kind of get that awareness out there so much more for like really important issues that obviously need spreading yeah yeah and i guess it's also like like pretty much like someone said it was just like you kind of want to see people like you elsewhere yeah. so you can feel like you can do this mm-hmm. and it's and representation it yeah. yeah with representation you see people that look like you you see people offering a perspective that is the same as yours and experience the same that's the same as yours and that would inspire the younger generation yeah, to go ahead absolutely. and do that sure I mean, that kind of leads on to my next question, which was going to be, why is representation important? Like, and like just because yeah. obviously I feel like if you, if you are so used to seeing people that look like you um, around you in media, you're not going to necessarily recognise the need for it. So if one of you could maybe just explain like, what, what is the actual need for representation i think representation is so 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 important because i think especially for young kids and from my uh, perspective for females as well i think when you grow up and you don't see anyone that looks like you, you don't see anyone with the same skin color or your features or your dark hair or anything like that and you don't see that you can't you don't feel like what you look like is normalized and then i think you grow up with a lot of like beauty trends or like um things in the culture and fashion and music and you kind of adopt a certain way that you're supposed to act and obviously that's not true there's not a certain way that anyone's supposed to act and when you do have representation and you you do see people that look like you it kind of it benefits your self-worth and your self-confidence so much to a point that you just feel accepted again and it feels like yeah I'm fine like my features are fine like oh my big nose is fine or that this is normal it's not something that needs to be changed because I think some things and some 
trends and perspectives and like beauty and fashion trends and things like that they're so eurocentric they're so yeah. westernized that when you don't have that representation you grow up believing that's the norm i, yeah. I saw a tweet like literally yesterday actually and it was um all these um women of color basically realizing that they're not ugly it's yeah. just that the standard of beauty isn't mm-hmm. it, it, it's white centric yeah. it's yeah. not yeah so yeah yeah um moving on um i want to talk a bit about music so especially regards to the uk but also just the general music industry um how do we feel representation of south asians within that is it starts to make a dent i think it's starting to get somewhere um even if we look back as early as the early 2000s like jay sean man yeah good old jay sean if you're listening for us yeah but do you not think that speaks volumes though the yeah. fact that it's just like jay sean then silence uh, yeah so true and i feel like that is kind of the meme isn't it like it's yeah. just like yeah. oh yeah that one token brown artist like yeah jay yeah. sean he did yeah. that yeah. but i think now we're getting to a point like you know there's I'm there's six, like yeah. there's household names like you've got like nav steel bangles savak like there's all those kind of people that mm-hmm. a lot of people are starting to recognize as really big artists like steel bangles charts all the time like, with like, pretty yeah. much every song he makes and you're hearing all these places like people from london and I know for a fact that people from Birmingham, there's like so many people across countries. I know I saw a couple of um, years ago, I was just going through my Instagram feed and one of my friends posted a um, picture of an artist who was definitely Indian. And I was like, oh, okay, so there's more musicians out here that look like me. I was like, mm-hmm. this is great news for me. And obviously I was like, yeah, this is fantastic. I forgot his name, but like still, like the fact that there are people out there. And if you look at Ravina as well, oh, like she's, she's coming out, Ravina. she's coming through. Mm-hmm. Like, there are so much talent, like, there is so much talent just in our little small island of people. Mm-hmm. So I know for a fact that we just need to be looking a lot more because I think at this point we're not looking properly. Yeah, and I think as well there's kind of this expectation, like obviously there's BBC introducing yeah. and that's a really good way for artists mm-hmm. in the UK to mm-hmm. kind of get into the industry. And whilst I suppose it can kind of play to our advantage in that we have a specific route to go through there is kind of this expectation that any young asian artist that wants to make it ha- kind of has to go through bbc asian network and i don't yeah. think i don't i don't yeah. think this is a really bad thing because obviously it's kind of it, it's a bit done done as a bit of a favor because it's kind of like we can kind of jump the mm-hmm. queue a bit and go through that but at the same time why is it, why is that, it just through the Asian? Yeah, we, uh, yeah. we have to go through that. I don't route. think you should have to appeal to your Asianness to make it kind of thing. Yeah. That shouldn't yeah. be your market all yeah. the time. Like if you yeah. want it to be sure, if that's you, go ahead, do your thing. But if you want to make it in any industry that you're in, don't appeal to the fact that you're a South Asian person. Yeah. Like just just to make it kind of thing. Yeah. 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 Like uh, Jay Sean again, like God bless his soul. Um, <laughs> we talk about him a lot. On the I show. know. Him, just, I want to be. I want to know him personally. You know, but like the fact that he again, like a, he's an R and B singer. Yeah. So people took him as an R and B singer at face value, not brown person slash yeah. singer. No, and I can personally speak on that because, um, coming growing up in a from a mixed household, from a Western household, mm-hmm. I I remember Simran, you were saying about how you grew up listening to like Jay Sean and Rishi Rich when you were younger, like. I didn't have that upbringing. I wasn't really exposed to much um, South Asian culture. So I only knew Jay Sean from down. Yeah. And bear in mind, like, I didn't really, I hadn't seen the music video. I just kind of knew the song and I was like, oh, yeah, I know that song. I 
just hearing his voice and hearing the song, I just presumed he was black. Like literally, yeah. wasn't, yeah. it wasn't. It yeah. wasn't until like a few years later that when I actually started like properly engaging with South Asian music through an act decision of my own, yeah. I was like, yeah. "Wait, Jay Wait, Sean what? is one, one of us. <laughs> what? He, he brown? <laughs> yeah. Are he a funky brown boy? He dropped exactly. <laughs> I like that. It was a pleasant uh, surprise, but also, um." Again, I keep on talking about this webinar that I went to like a few weeks ago, but it honestly it was really useful. Yeah. And Bobby Friction, um, who is a radio presenter on BBC Asian Network, he actually said something that was really interesting. Um and I think you can go and watch it on YouTube actually, but um the quote is basically that he said, No one wants to be Asian, basically. If you ask a white person, would you rather be anything other than white? The majority of them will say no, because there's an obvious privilege that kind of comes with being white. And if they do want to pretend to be something, they'll immediately pretend to be black because black is, quote, cool, yeah. basically. Yeah. It's like the cool thing yeah. to be. Asians are kind of stereotyped in their own little thing of being like bottom of the pile basically the losers like yeah. no one wants to be asian <laughs> and it's just kind of like it's kind of it's, it is kind of that it kind of puts us in such like a rabbit hole to like it makes it really hard to actually navigate the industry when you've kind of got that working against you do you know what i mean what what do you think about that i have a story for this <laughs> um so obviously you know universal whoop whoop listeners um <sighs> At this time, when I was when I, when I was at uni, there was like this. It's a really random conversation, and this doesn't really always ha- ever happen. But there was one conversation with this um, girl at, this, uh, at the smokers bar, and like just like you know, everyone's going out, and just wants to have a bit of a chill, and like it's cold, and it's nice. I don't know why, but like England's just cold. But like we do it because it's sweaty inside, like the clubs yeah. or whatever. And she was like, "You're quite cool for an Asian boy, aren't you?" He was like, "You're not very nerdy," and I was a bit like, "Sorry, do you want?" Is that like a congratulations? I don't get it. Like, what do you mean? <laughs> like, I was like, um, do I do I not look like Raj to you? Which is, do I do I need to be in Big Bang Theory? Do I need to put yeah. on an Indian accent well, just to make you feel comfortable? That's another example of the representation that we do have. That's obviously yeah. not working because it's like if it's you're not if you're not Baljeet from Phineas and Ferb or Apu from The Simpsons, yeah. you know, Baljeet. like where do you fit in, yeah. kind of thing. And that's not what being an Asian is like. Yeah. So that's why I think we do get kind of rabbit hole a little bit into that kind of bottom of the pile kind of mentality because we've always been seen as the laughing stock, I yeah, guess, in a sense. Yeah. But I was going to come and say that, like, if you asked me would I want to be anything other than Asian, I'd say no, mm-hmm. because I love yeah. being Asian. I think yeah. it's great. And But that has come after years of finding my own representation, yeah. seeking it out for myself, you know, like following in, uh, Instagram models who are Indian, who are Sikh, who are Punjabi, that kind of stuff. Um and it's come from like your yeah. own kind of internal conflict that you have to get over yourself. I think coming up as like an Asian person in yeah. the world we live in today, um, mm. and it, trust me, it's taken a long time to get course, there. But yeah. I feel like yeah. now I'm at a point where I can say like, no, I actually love it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, interesting because like for me, it was more like for my exposure of people. I mean, obviously, I have the South Asian community, but for for me growing up, I grew up in a white neighbourhood. I went to a black school. Mum um, and dad are both religious, so again, I ended up going to two churches. Um, ended up being atheist. How funny is that? But again, I went to a white church and a black church. Now, it's strange because I did also very much sort of meld in quite well with the black church, um, but I just as well melded in quite well with the white church. But the part of me was like, the part of me that was missing was my Asian side. Mm. 
And every time I did go to this Asian church because of, you know, family get-togethers, there's always some auntie just who wants to talk you down or, like, something that goes on. And it always gave me some, like, sort of negative vibes. So, like, for a while I was a bit like, I don't really fancy being Indian. Like, not, like, didn't want to because I was, like, very much aware of every morning that I woke up that I was brown and I was also Indian. So I didn't forget my culture, which was a big part of who I was. And I very much am proud of the fact that I'm dual-heritaged. In this case, I'm, I'm just as much English as I am Indian. And I think sometimes when you get targeted from both sides, oh, you're not too English or you're not too Indian. It's like, I'm just me. I'm, I'm not calling myself Indian. I'm not calling myself British at this rate. I'm just me. Like, it came from a long time of like, I'm not, I'm not adhering to anyone's like expectations of me anymore. Yeah. And so for me, the confidence came from accepting my Asian-ness as just a form of my upbringing. Because I spent a lot of time with my mum and dad. You know, they instilled me with these values, these cultures, these important values of respecting your elders. Mm-hmm. Like, even if they were annoying you or, like, whatever, just having that side to it too. But for me, having my own self-confidence wasn't looking at shows like Big Bang Theory. I actively knew at the ages of 14 and 16, I was a bit like, this is a bit naff, man. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I, I'm not like this guy. I'm sporty. I play music. I'm definitely not that clever. Like, I'm not book smart, but, like, I don't know how this, how these things kind of even attribute to me. Mm. But that's when I started wondering, is there better representations? Like, you had, um, I don't know if you has, has anyone watched Heroes? No. There's an Indian actor, again, from similar places to where I, uh, where my mum and dad originally are from in India. And he looked, he looks relatively similar to me, like, curly hair, like, it, curly hair, dark skinned. And that, to me, was the first time I saw someone who wasn't, like, nerdy. I mean, like, he was a doctor on screen, but, I mean, other than that. But, like, he was cool. He was intelligent. He wasn't, he wasn't like, shy, couldn't speak to girls or, like... Yeah. Like, it's, like, that kind of stuff just always made me feel weird. Yeah. So, for me, it was, like, finding the right, like you said, finding the right kind of role models. Mm-hmm. And finding the right kind of role models goes across the board. You want to be proud of who you are because you're going to have to face up to it every single day. Mm-hmm. You can't be ashamed. This, I think it is like this. There's almost more that you have to do. Like, yeah. I think it counts for, like, the majority of being people. But with regards to just South Asians, um, Hassan Minaj actually did um, a lie detector test. Mm-hmm. Um, and it got loaded to YouTube. And part of that <laughs> um, clip is actually really striking. He said, he's talking about his friend, basically. Um and he said, Dax is part of a thing where in show business, there's this whole movement of approachable white dudes. Whereas with men of color, it's like Idris Elba, Henry Golding, Zayn Malik, or you work in IT. There's no middle ground. And yeah. I think that's that's so true. Like, for example, you kind of, you, you basically have to meet, again, these, these white standards of beauty that we talked about before. Mm-hmm. Or your casters in IT or a terrorist like for example i think if, we, if you talk about representation of brown people in tv i think the main one of the places you go to is like homeland and yeah when you think about homeland i know so many people who love that show but you can't deny like it it, it does amplify some pretty islamophobic stereotypes and like True. it's not That's doing okay. any good for that community at all yeah yeah and it's just it's just a shame that you kind of have to go that, that's those, that's the only still, few. those are the ones you are yeah but, i think that's yeah. the problem that the representation we do have is not helpful it's not positive and it doesn't show us in a good light so that's why getting 
representation out there that obviously is constructive, shows a positive side of things and shows that um, BAME or South Asian people in particular can be anything and can be in any role. And it doesn't matter. You don't have to be in STEM. You don't have to be no, a doctor yeah, or a lawyer. Yeah, yeah. Like you can literally do what you want. And yeah. that's when I think you'll see real change and growth from people and more of us in every sector. Like, don't get me wrong, you are going to be questioned a lot. Yes. And you are going to be, like, if you are if you plan on doing music or acting or whatever, the one thing you've got to remember is the only reason anyone's going to talk you down is because they're not doing it. And if they're not doing it, doesn't mean you should stop. Like, you have to, I know there's always a, there's always a case, especially if your parents are like, like, Beta, what are you doing? Is this what is this right for you? And like, you know, all you need to do is be like, Mum, trust the process. Or Dad, I know this is tough, but give me time. Give me a year, give me two years, just let me get it right. But yeah. be dedicated. Don't put your foot off the gas. Like, because if they say yes, that's a huge level of trust that they have on you to achieve it. Mm-hmm. So I think on that, it's it's a balance of the two things. You have to be able to like bring back and completely dedicate yourself to the cause. If it's what you want to do, you have to chase it. But um, once again, I feel like it comes back to the encouragement thing. Yeah, like there yeah. just isn't any encouragement from people 100%. when they're growing up to be like, okay, you can do actually what you want. Like, yeah. You can go into music if you like, go into acting, go into fashion, go into art, go into painting, do what you like. There isn't kind of a massive encouragement of create, creative media outlets for us. And I feel like it does get pushed very much towards STEM routes and the academia route and like the education route. Yeah. And you kind of go through it and you don't question it because that's what your parents have told you to and they don't really give you another option to kind of say like, oh no, I want to play guitar or Mm -hmm. I want to like go into sketching or something. You know what I mean? Like that that doesn't really happen. Um, So I think when you start opening up those avenues to your kids and you let them kind of understand that they don't have to go down the school route forever um, and there's so many more options out there and just do what makes you happy, that's when you'll start seeing more of us in those roles. Mm Um, picking out fashion from that, um, I didn't have personally that much to say on it, but one thing that stood out to me with regards to representation of um, Asian people in fashion, first of all, I found a statistic that said, it was from 2016, so I'm not sure how much has changed in the past four years, but it was from the spring 2016 fashion adverts, only 4% of the models were Asian, like 70-something percent were white, basically. Um, And also that I think there is a problem in that not just South Asian people, but patterns and um, wear from everywhere around the world is constantly taken and crafted upon by Western um, fashion experts and you know what sometimes they create stuff that is like it's very visually appealing but the problem i think comes with where they'll take for example a um traditional south indian south asian wear Mm -hmm. but then Mm -hmm. won't have brown people model it and won't credit them or won't give any sort of recognition to the meaning that that traditional wear has and it's just, it's just sort of like you kind of take those elements of that culture, mm-hmm. use it for your own gain to profit from, and then just forget it. Like, it's just so... I see all these outfits of, like, with turbans on and um, saris, etc. Like, and it's, like, it's very clearly taken from South Asian culture, but there'll be um, all these skinny white models wearing it. And it's just a case that... 
obviously that's like fine in the right cultural context yeah. but th- that isn't what's happening when it's appropriation here. to yeah. a completely different ballpark and yeah. it's, I think, like, yeah, it's a huge problem even within the black community um uh, asian community even when we look at like say japanese wear and um you know and i think it's in mexico where a lot of people not mexico sorry god it must be i think it's la where there's a lot of mexican um americans who live there right having a lot of problems um with people in japan for sort of taking this sort of uh lachiko vibe and sort of taking this sort of um chulo uh, uh cholo kind of like inspiration and not really crediting this culture that the mexican americans have kind of created for themselves like the sense of community and i think when people in japan are like sort of profiting from this without really understanding the lifestyle of a cholo or someone who lives this kind of like hard hard street life mm-hmm. it's kind of a spit in their face if you yeah. know what i mean i and i understand there's always like you know with the correct cult, uh, you know cultural context it's completely fine and it's like you know it's kind of flattering but yeah like you said if these fashion designers are taking turbans or bindis or yeah you know even like a, a couple of years ago i started seeing people i think when i was like still at school i started seeing bindis around and i was like wait what <laughs> yeah, especially at festivals the like, coachella yeah i mean i was like bindis. i was like good on you it looks great but like wait hang on a second what like mm-hmm. you took the piss out of me for like all my mum for wearing one like this what's going on here do you know mm-hmm. what i mean but i think we it's, it's such a fine line i don't know about you Simran. What, what do you think but it's like i think it's when you're not taking the time to kind of understand and appreciate the kind of cultural significance that underpins these yeah. trends and the like the fashion and the stuff like that that comes with it then it definitely becomes appropriation yeah. in the terms that you can't go around wearing it because if you weren't asian for example and you was at coachella in a bindi or like um like a sari or something that resembled like asian wear mm. Um, why is that like praised and okay and like really like bigged up when I might do it and someone might hurl abuse at me in the street? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like yeah. it just, that just doesn't make it okay. Yeah, it's not yeah. fashionable when it's it's, like it's only fashionable when there's like a European European person wearing it, not when the person that actually belongs to that culture is wearing it. It just becomes like oh, then you're like a freshie or something. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Yo, I'm kind of tempted to wear a sobar kameez just for the sake of it now. <laughs> yeah, just walk around into town and be like, hey traditional wear saturdays you're all coming next episode honestly when tier two comes out i'm gonna be in a club or like the pub probably not a club more like a pub i'll be wearing myself alchemies and i'll be like are you sure you're allowed to drink that do you know what i mean like it'll be fun <laughs> Dear me. right before we play a few more tracks the last um segment that i wanted to talk about was sport yeah now i had a few um statistics here um whilst we know that racism in football, especially in the Premier League, um, is still a yeah, major issue. Yeah. But and with regards to representation, a quarter of the players in the Premier League are actually um, considering themselves to be black. Yeah. Can you guess what percentage of them are South Asian? Say 1%. I don't know the percentage, but I know there's like four current players in the Premier League that I know are South Asian. 0.25 percent i should have just insane yeah and i looked in there was an article in the guardian about like why this is and uh, they're saying a lot of it is or they think the reason for it is to do with like conceptions about the asian body and you think about it there's this kind of stereotype that the south asian body is sort of like weak or they're not very good at sport they don't have good coordination that sort of thing. But I'm just kind of like just thinking about that. And I was just kind of like, I feel like 
Bane people in general have so much more endurance, I feel. Yeah. Then because if you think about what people have been through and what their ancestors have been through, they've been through so much trauma, so much movement, having to like move, move shop and go elsewhere, like mm-hmm. basically be refugees sort of thing. And the around, it's just like the audacity <laughs> of these, um, um, most of the time white um, British people in positions of power to kind of, see people as weak when mm. they're not weak and if they are appearing weak the reason is because your great great granddad robbed all their country resources and they didn't have anything left like oh god and, you know what's crazy about this because like i mean i used to play a lot of sports at school and i did really well so i don't like that part used that's a very jarring statistic and to, to think that this i knew that that was part of the issue when it came down to like why they didn't take players and of south asian heritage but the fact that there's four players, four players like in the Premier League, that is not even the Premier League. There's two players in Germany, and the rest and the other two players are in the, are in England. Like that's, it, it is kind of crazy to me because it's like, how did you? How does one sort of, I guess, dictate how strong someone else is? Like, do you sit like sit and watch him play football? Like, you didn't even yeah. like put him onto the scout team. You didn't even put him on the reserves. You've not even like decided to scout him from watching. You've just kind of completely outlined him, like just sidelined him completely. I was going to say it must highlight an issue in the selection process yeah. because I'm sure there's more than enough young Asians coming up through the academies and stuff like yeah. that. But yeah, I think yeah. when it comes to being actually selected and drafted for the teams, maybe that's where the problem is. Yeah, you know what's mad is as well. Um, I looked in because I uh, have you any of you read um why I'm no longer talking to white people about race. Kind of. Would you be kind of? If you like read like snippets yeah. or something, yeah. Um, in there, um, Rennie talks a bit about um, football. Mm-hmm. And this isn't to players, this is to do managers. But in America, for the NFL, they basically did this thing called the, Ro- the Rooney Rule. And it's basically where they kind of... There was no... Um, obligation to have any sort of prejudice in who you hire sort of thing but it was basically just a quota that they had to consider at least a certain number of um i think it was black referees or black candidates before so so at least then they were like considered not that they had to hire them but they were considered and they actually found that after 10 years after that came into place it did improve representation in (laughs) in terms of the um yeah. I think it was referees with regards to NFL and players. They suggested bringing that in here with the Premier League and they were they were and other football and they were having none of it. They were literally like, "This is what's the point? Like, this is this is ridiculous." Like, and it's literally like there's such an aversion, yeah. like to actually just trying to just, make this any better. You know what I mean? But I think it's the big thing of like, I think we've seen especially in uh, sport and especially this year with the Black Lives Matter movement that there was such a big aversion to even admitting yeah. there's a problem in the yeah. first place. So many people didn't want to admit that football's racist. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And even now they've put out like the Black Lives Matter on the little, I don't know what they're called, the sideline advertisement section bits. Um, people had a problem with that on the shirts. People had a problem with that. Like, people just didn't want to admit that the industry is racist. Mm-hmm. So I think when they kind of brought that idea over, the reason why they probably said no is because they didn't want to seem like, by acknowledging it, they probably would have had to acknowledge the racism. Mm. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, no, it's, it's mad. Like, 
there's denial and then there's ignorance and this is just it shows a lack of care and it's both denial and ignorance at the same time which is worse which is even like it's just like it's crazy because like you know that there's a problem but you're not accepting it and you're ignoring it because it's like it's not your problem unlike when you're in a position of power where you could help others but you're just yeah. choosing not to yeah no it's just it's, it's kind of a grating one like it's just it could be easily solved do you know what i mean like we yeah. we you spend so many um so many years on our on, our, on this earth and and there's so much money spent on like campaigns, getting people to sort of you know stick together and unify them together. But the message just isn't strong enough, apparently. Like mm. with um, kicking out fo- uh, kicking racism out of football, even earlier as this week, even earlier as this week, players recently actually walked off of the game. Mm, I saw that. Yeah, and like that's crazy. Yeah, wasn't it because some a referee said yeah. a racial slur? Yeah, he said that black guy or something, and you would never say that about. Yeah. Yeah. Talk about the player's name. He's earned to be there. Yeah, yeah precisely. He's worked his whole life to be there. You're not going to refer him by skin colour. Yeah. Just to reiterate, if you can hear any background noise, it is because Pi Radio is hosting a live stream concert tonight. Um, if you want to tune in, head to our socials and you'll be able to find the YouTube link there. It's going to start in approximately an hour and 20 minutes. So be sure to head over to that. And in the meantime, you'll be able to hear a sneak preview in the background of our show. <laughs> Enjoy. Hopefully it's not too loud. Musical starlings are epic. <laughs> um, so, we left off. We were talking about representation. We've covered basically representation in regards to people that we idolise, who we're not necessarily coming into contact with, and those career paths. I wanted to talk a bit more about representation in real life, in close proximity, um so talking about when we were growing up when the people that were surrounding us and the potential career paths that we thought that we could go into what representations like in those industries with regards to south asians and what effect did that have on us growing up tune <laughs> um so i think first we're going to think about academia and i think ben you wanted to kick off this topic uh yeah so academia and role models around me um right first and foremost i didn't realize i couldn't properly read for a long time i mean i knew i couldn't read properly for ages but i didn't really know that was due to my dyslexia which got diagnosed when i was 14 years old Mm. um it's quite late it's quite late but i think again like in my article when i when i wrote it down i never really struggled so badly that anyone needed to help me and I was never too far behind any work that anyone needed to help me like that like as if it was too important but when I did get diagnosed with um dyslexia it I think one of the main things that I was trying to think of was is there anyone else out there that can probably like sort of coach me through this or like talk me talk me through it and I had no idea like if there was anyone out there like me and especially in a setting that is, you know, you know, culturally so in, like ingrained with education to basically sort of be told that I'm not really going to be doing as well as other kids in certain ways was kind of like a kind of like a kick in the teeth to me. But it was also kind of something I was slightly relieved by because I didn't I just then at that point was like, oh, I'm not actually dumb. I just genuinely can't read. Yeah. And you know what? If it wasn't for the people that stuck by me, I would have struggled huge yeah. big time and I had two great teachers for that 
But in terms of role models in, in sort of close proximity, I, I really struggled. Because up until this point, everyone, all my aunties or people coming around would be like, so Beto, what are you doing for, uh, what do you want to be, a doctor, engineer? It's like, how about, um, stop asking me questions. And How about no? How about neither of those <laughs> appeal to me? Or like, I think at the time I was so, so like ingrained with music and the arts and sciences as well. Like I was more thinking outside of the box as opposed to looking at maths, English, science as, as like STEM subjects or like even just subjects that I would just have to do. And I just kind of like ended up building this little wall around me that I hadn't really realised for many, many, many years because no one could really kind of understand my plight. It was either considered laziness because I didn't really like reading and I, I'd actually act up in class purely because of that one factor. Mm. Um, sorry, Mrs. Buck, if you're listening. And <laughs> do you know what? Like, I think a lot of it came down to not having someone there that kind of dealt the same thing with me because my mum and dad had no idea how to deal with it. They were like, oh, wait, what? Mm. Oh, right, so there goes the doctor dream. Funnily enough, didn't actually go down the drain. <laughs> but um, even that, even that kind of put me in a place where, like, academics is so so important to so many Asians, and generally, I think just generally across the board amongst most people. But for me, it, it's kind of a it's a kind of like a sore subject because it's like I never thought I was going to ever do well in academics yeah. or even come to a point where I could read a sentence coherently, and. But I don't know. I mean, Simran, what was it? What was it like for you growing up? Like education and academics, and was it super stressed, or was it something like just? I think the education route was always pushed. That was always like number one priority. Mm -hmm. But then I think I started getting older, and kind of took a little bit of a stand and went to the point where I was like, it's not everything. Like, yeah, I do like it, and and I will go through with the whole like degree university route and stuff. Obviously, that's when I decided what I wanted to do is as a career, which Mm. does obviously involve a great degree of studying. Um, But when I was about 15, I got really into makeup and I just loved it. Like every day after school, instead of my homework, I'd be doing makeup. Like I just got really into it. Um, And I think it went through like a transition phase where everyone was a bit like, oh, she's not studying anymore. Like, she just does eyeshadow all the time. Like, um, And it was a bit like, okay, well, you can do that because obviously I think, especially in our community, makeup is a really big thing in terms of like, you know, like weddings and bridal makeup. There's obviously yeah. a really big industry for it. So it's still a really good career path. It's still really viable. So I think that's why that was accepted. But I think there was a big transition, especially when I was doing my A-levels of me struggling with my A-levels and being like to mum, like, I might not be able to do these too well. It might have to be the makeup thing. And then her having to be like, okay like that's fine you can if that's what suits you and I was like yeah that is what suits me like thanks but um <laughs> I think I'm lucky in my experience that like, it was never so yeah. pushed on me to the point where I felt like I had to pass or I'd be in the doghouse kind of thing yeah um but I do know a lot of people who did grow up like that and they're yeah. in positions now that obviously they're around my age so they'll be um doing degrees and stuff where they do degrees and like I don't know, chemical engineering, um, accounting and finance or law, and they hate it. They hate what they're Absolutely, studying. Like yeah. They literally can't stand it. They're just getting through these three years um, just for the sake of doing it. And they know yeah. they don't like it. It's either because that's what their parents want them to do or it's because it's going to make them a lot of money in the future. For sure, for sure. You know, and that's not how you should look at your degree. That's something you've got, you're going to do for the rest of your life. Yeah. You know, that's not how it should work. And I think there needs to be way more recognised in our culture that 100%. you should just be doing stuff that's going to make you happy. Yeah. And again, like it also comes down to uh, exactly, pretty much, like pretty much what Simran said, nailing it on the head there. And I, I think 
it's similar to somewhere around, like for me it was like there was getting to a point where it was coming to GCSEs and you know at this point after getting the news I was sat there kind of like all right so do I need to revise what I need to do for this and like do I need to think about what subjects I'm going to choose for my GCSEs am I going to do triple science am I going to be smart enough for triple science I mean I came back after that summer with big boy energy but like even between that time I was like do I do it do I do it do I do it and I wanted to work myself up to that point where I wanted to do it and the thing about my my parents is that my mum's the pusher my dad's the bit like he is the pusher but he's the silent pusher he's the kind of pusher he's like it's all right I don't mind empty silence and you know that silence is kind of like he wants you to do better and he knows you can do better but the response he got was like I don't need I don't need flying colors from you all I need from you is dedication to something you want to do and that's something that's still stuck to me to this very day. So everything I do, I do it with 110% effort. Sure. And whether it's academics, if you like, if you do not feel like maths is for you, honey, don't do maths. Yeah. yeah. Don't do it just to please someone else. Yeah, because trust me, it's you're gonna your life waste. At the end of the yeah, day. yeah, you're gonna waste a lot of your time trying to impress people. And I know it's gonna be an awful and bitter conversation, but believe me, having that conversation first and foremost. There's going to be some tears. There might not, there might not be tears, depending on how the situation goes. But you are you. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, if English, math, science, or something like chemical engineering ain't for you, don't drop yourself in it. That's just a bad recipe. That's a bad like solution to go for. And I think the thing is, like, it gets pushed on us from our parents mm. because that is kind of the only route they, they see and appreciate. And that's the kind of thing, the only thing they knew, you're right. Um, so they push it, but the only reason they do is because they want the best for you. Yeah. So you saying that, okay, I don't want to be a doctor. I don't want to pursue law or whatever. I want to do music or fashion or like creative writing yeah. or something like that. When you tell them that that is what you want to do, and that, that's what will make you happy. They'll yeah. probably see it from a different perspective and appreciate that way more because at the end of the day, they only want the best for you. Sure. Yeah, like when I dropped out of medicine, um, it was a very weird conversation to have because my dad went, okay. My <laughs> mum went, what? You, you what? You want to drop out of medicine? And there was that long, st- like long form stare that you were like, oh, am I getting beaten up today? I don't know. But Gum left to the head. Yep, that's the one. <laughs> but... Do you know what? They both were so open. My parents are so, so supportive of everything I do. Like, they just knew from an early age that I was chatty. I was mm-hmm. clearly rude to some aunties because they still don't like me. But um, it's it's not just that. It's like they were just accepting of the fact that I was going to grow up differently. I had different interests. Yeah. I was musical. I was more artsy. I was more, like, in terms of being me, I was more out there. I was more of a physical person. I liked doing things a lot more. And they were like, if education's not for you, it took my mum a while before like to kind of accept it. But my dad instantly was like, I mean, he has a young brother who's very similar to me. And I think he was like, you kind of have the same sort of spark. And there's no point, ne- there's, there's no point needlessly like dulling your sparkle. If anyone like goes out to you and tries to dull your sparkle, just allow them out, cut them out of your life because <laughs> there's no need. No dull sparkles, 2021. No dull sparkles. Preach it. Trademark. <laughs> but like just going off what Ben said, like I totally agree. Like I think I was in a very fortunate position that 
um, my parents have always been really accepting of what I wanted to. Like when I did start the makeup thing, they were really cool with it. Um, but if I wanted to go down academia, they were cool with that as well. But they were really open and accepting as to who I was. Like I wasn't really the prototype like Benjabi girl yeah. or anything like that. Not stereotypical at all. And I think they've been so cool with that. So like open and like honest and so like accepting of me and who I am without kind of no questions asked really just kind of letting it happen I but I do think like when I did say oh I want to pursue clinical psychiatry there was a little like sigh of relief kind of thing it was a bit like oh okay she wants to do the school thing like yeah. that's good like yeah, we're into yeah. that um we'll support your makeup we'll support your creative like your painting and everything else you do but we're happy going to uni kind of thing yeah. you know yeah, yeah. And again, like if you like uni, again, it's like your stomping grounds. This is your trial period at life. Like, imagine that seven seven day trial period you get for Amazon Prime. You try to like squash in ten seasons in seven days. Yep. Think of uni kind of the same way. Obviously, work hard. Don't just like don't just drop off and nod off, right? But that is where you start making your social connections. Mm-hmm. And if you've managed, if you're lucky enough to make your social connections before, use uni. Use uni to build it even if you choose not to if you do choose to go to it doesn't really matter what what this is is the best time for you to get yourself into society and understand how things work for you you find out a lot about yourself at uni and you find yourself a lot found a lot about yourself just generally throughout life but i feel like uni kind of speeds up for you i don't know i don't know, I don't know about you guys how did it go for you through uni if, with regards to what sorry. just in like in terms of life and like choosing out like yeah no, what I- you wanted I think it definitely kind of those like five not why am I saying five years? Those like three to four years were definitely big in terms of making me the person I am today and I definitely came out of university a very different different person to the one that I went in. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think definitely and it's weird as well because like Simran obviously you're still going through your university journey, so like how do you feel you are how do you feel you are presently compared to how when you started like a few years back? I think I, even looking back on pictures and stuff came up in my snap memories like um, <laughs> two years ago today and there's a picture of me like the first night in the first two months of uni and um, I looked younger, I was younger, like I don't even recognise that girl, do you know what I mean? Like she was a <laughs> child, literally a child and I was like now I'm maybe not an adult completely but way more of an adult than I was back then and it's just it's just so life-changing and it just makes you realize so much both in terms of like the practicality of living life but I think also in terms of who you are what you want to be as a person how to be a good person in your own stead less under the like realm of your parents and what they've taught you it's kind of getting out there and finding your own feet which I think is so important yeah. but I did want to say like in terms of I said like oh my parents they breathed a sigh of relief when I said I want to go to uni I don't think that's a massively exclusive to south asians yeah, yeah i think definitely. in general Everyone. a lot of people would want their kids to go down that because in our day and age i know you have apprenticeships and jobs and vocational yeah. courses and everything like that but i think university is still seen as yeah. that straight and narrow path that like you would ideally want you your kid to go down straight away, yeah. yeah yeah um we are probably gonna have to round things off there just because yeah. we play the last song and then get the um, emma roses in next i think she's got fliss in um, as her guest so make sure to stay tuned for that and also like i said i'm sure you can hear in the background there's still <laughs> dylan beds are still going at it um but yeah, go on to our pi radio socials find the youtube link and stream the concert later on yeah um it's gonna be this heavy. is sorry go it's on. gonna be heavy it's gonna be good it's gonna be heavy yeah um this is our last proper episode of this year of 2020 Aww. um next week we're gonna have a bit of a christmas party i'm Ooh. gonna be 
I say I'm going to be on the decks, but it's basically going to be a pre-recorded mix. That's, I'm, I'm not going to lie to you. But I'm um, going to play a load of tunes, some Desi tunes, some Christmas tunes, some tune tunes, some mashups. Like, it's going to be fun. So tune in next week, 3 to 5, for a bit of a party. I'm excited. Yeah, I'm very excited. Very excited. And come 2021, um, we are praying that um, 2021 is going to be Mango Masala's year. Halima touch wood it's gonna come to the studio she's gonna be okay uh, she's gonna have a sense of taste and smell back yeah hopefully um but yeah any closing comments regarding representation for the people at home uh just quickly um uh, don't worry about life being numb to you right now because trust me it gets a whole heap better once you find your feet and who you are um in terms of representation, there is so much more more work to be done. We're here kind of collectively at this moment in time right now to create the same thing. Mm-hmm. And hopefully we are going to be more successful with it. And even if we aren't, at least we're trying. And as we're trying, the more you try, basically, the more you will see rewards. Sure. It's consistency. Consistency is the key. Mm-hmm. I would say find your own sources of representation. It's not going to be in your mainstream media, so you have to go out out of your way and find it. And when you do, trust me, your eyes will be opened so much more and you'll be way more accepting of yourself. Great. So to round things off, if you want to follow us on our journey, (laughs) you can follow us on Instagram at Mango Masala Radio. Follow us on Twitter at Mango Masala MCR. Find us on YouTube, Mango Masala. Find us on Spotify now, as of yesterday, um, Mango Masala. You can listen to every single episode, um, hopefully with the background noise edited out. (laughs) Um, uh, I kind of want to have Dylan Best back in gonna get copyright strike because you're gonna have his music in the background true but yeah um any other socials that we have oh yeah facebook as well mango masala and you can expect um lots more videos discussions etc on that throughout the christmas holidays and yeah we look forward to properly engaging with you guys in 2021 we're gonna start getting guests in so if there's any south asian talent out there that wants to benefit some for some radio promo just get in touch with us um and yeah we're gonna finish the show with nimbupani by jamie zed